Let's hear God's word, Psalm 109, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Do not keep silent, O God, of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be continually before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him, and for a belt with which he girds himself continually. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. But you, O God the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. <clears throat> Amen. Well, as we uh, begin here today, I want you to think of those times where you have been pierced in the heart, and in particular by someone you thought was your friend or cared about you. I'm sure we've all been in that situation, maybe even currently. Or someone that you thought was, if you will, on your side, that uh, loved you and so forth, but then turned against you, even completely, not just for a moment. It hurts, doesn't it? Well, this is where David is. David has been slandered by those that he loved. 
And so he has responded here in this psalm in this way, asking God to help him in it all and even to bring judgment against the wicked, as we saw last week especially. We started this somewhat lengthy psalm two weeks ago. And David begins by asking God for help because these wicked men were speaking evil things about him, even though he did these good things toward them. And then last time we zeroed in, uh, David does, on this particular person who hated him, probably a ringleader, but whoever he was, we see that David is speaking some rather harsh words. We just heard those in verses 6 to 15. We, we usually consider these to be the most um, imprecatory of the imprecatory statements and words and such in the Psalms. They're, they're very harsh. But as I have been saying all along, I think we need to hear all that David is saying and not be distracted by those words and miss the broader points. David begins and ends the psalm with praise to God. And when David is asking for judgment, he's asking for judgment. He's not doing it himself. He's turning to the Lord. And, and it's, um, as I'll say a little bit later here, probably over 30 times in the psalm. And 20 of them in verses 6 to 15. So he's not trying to do this himself. He wants God to do it, to take vengeance. And then we also saw in verse 4 that he is a man of prayer. And even as we went through those words last week, every one of them in one way or another connects with another scripture. David is praying scripture here. He's not just venting. He's not raving mad and lunatic and mean and vindictive and so forth. And so when we pray for similar things, for that person who has pierced us in the heart, who has hurt us greatly and has turned against us completely, yes, we should pray that God would save, that God would show mercy. But we cannot stop there. We also need to pray that God would judge the wicked for their sins if they do not repent and turn to Christ. This is good. This is right. In fact, if we love our neighbor, we will pray this way. And so David gives us a model to follow. And as we saw also in verses 16 to 20, it's not like it was undeserved. These men, this man, deserved this judgment, this prayer for judgment. All right, now if you look at your handout here on Psalm 109, and you look at uh, the back of the, the second page here, I believe it is, You'll see some of these outlines, and once again, I've given you several of them here because each one is helpful. I encourage you again to read through this on your own. Learn more of what God has given to us here to know and understand. Now, I've basically been following the second of these outlines. We now come today to verses 21 to 31. And if you look at the third outline, you see how it's subdivided. The vow of praise in verses 30 and 31. And then even the next one, you see how it's subdivided even further. Okay. And if you look then back at verse 21, here on this handout, you'll see that verse 21 <clears throat> begins with God's name and it has two petitions. If you look at verse 26, we have two more petitions with God's name there as well. This is why it's subdivided here uh, in this way. And then we have the last two verses. Simply David is asking for help. 
Okay? He's asking God for help and ends with praise. So let's look again at verse 20. As I mentioned last time, verse 20 is kind of a transitional verse. It wraps up what David was saying in verses 6 to, to 19. Let this be the reward of my accusers from Yahweh and of those who are speaking evil against my soul. Okay? He is wrapping up this call for judgment, at least in that section, and this call for cursing against the wicked. And now note the contrast. Verse 21. But you, O Yahweh my God, my Lord, I should say, work with me for the sake of your name. Because your covenant love is good, deliver me. All right. First of all, notice, obviously, the name of God. And then notice that the next two lines are in parallel. So we have the rhyming of ideas in these two parallel lines, uh, but they're different enough to call them synthetic, but nevertheless, they are the rhyming of an idea. Okay. Notice also this. Do you see how personal David all of a sudden becomes? But you, he says. Okay. There's this change of focus. It's been all about this evil man and all this judgment against this evil man. Let him be judged in one way or another. But you, what a, what a contrast. Okay. And note this. The only other two times we see David addressing God directly with the you pronoun is in verse 1, the first imperative, the first petition, and then in verse 6. Now, in this verse, you is used five times. Do you see the, the focus here? But you, you work with me for the sake of your name because your covenant love is good. You deliver me. We're not just talking to God abstractly. There is a relationship here, and David is emphasizing that. Nine more times he uses the pronoun you in verses 26 to 28. Okay? David is hurting and he is turning to his God, to our God, asking for his help. Note also in verse 1, he uses just the name God, which is not unimportant. But now notice he uses the name Yahweh. Okay, he does use it in verse 20 in this transitional verse. You see it now here in verse 21. And then you see it in verses 26 and 27, as well as verse 30. You see his emphasis. David is turning to his covenant Lord, to Yahweh, the one who has entered into relationship with David and with all of God's people. Okay. When we are in need, when someone is slandering us, when we have been pierced in the heart, turn to God. Don't run away. Okay. Turn to him. Emphasize the relationship that we have with our God. The one who has entered into relationship by grace. But then notice also, okay, it says, my Lord. Now this is the name Adonai. And my Lord here, you could translate as my master. Okay, my sovereign, the one who is over me. And so David is coming to this, can you say, personal covenant Lord, but he also remembers his place before God. David here is saying, basically, he is a servant. He is a servant to Yahweh. Do you see David's attitude? I, I know I keep saying this, but you have many conservative 
scholars and pastors and such say, well, Psalm 109, we should just ignore it. We can't ever pray this kind of thing as a Christian. But I think they're distracted by the severity of David's words, and they miss some of these things. Do you hear David's humility here? God is my master. David isn't taking matters into his own hands. He's relying on the Lord. All right, let's keep going. Note then the first petition here in this verse. Work with me for the sake of your name. Do your thing with me, we could even say. Or as one commentator paraphrased it, he says, act on my behalf. But notice, it's not for David's sake. Act on my behalf, but not because I just have this personal vendetta because this guy just made me mad. Act on my behalf for your name's sake, Lord, for your honor, for your glory, for your reputation. You see, again, David's attitude, his focus, it's not selfish. And then in the second petition here, the the last line, because your covenant love is good, deliver me. So do you see how these two lines are in parallel, but also do you see the chiasm? We begin with the command in the first and end with it in the second of these two lines. And so deliver me, he says, because Yahweh's, Chesed is good. The covenant of grace surely is good. We know that. We say that every week, even every day. God's covenant is good. And because it is good, we can come to the Lord and we can ask him to deliver us, to help us. Because God has made promises to bless his people, David bases his request on this reality, this relationship, the reality of the covenant. This is what motivates David to ask for these things. Keep your promises, Lord. Remember how last week when we looked at each of these things that David says, that it's based in one way or another on God's word. Well, David's continuing that. Now, he's not quite as specific here, but he's speaking generally on the fact that the covenant is good. And so he's praying scripture yet again, and it may may be a more general sense, but he's still doing the same thing. And so David here then is appealing to God's character. He's appealing to God's name. He's appealing to God's promises to hear his attitude, to hear his humility. In the midst of praying for judgment, we must have this attitude too. Notice how it continues, verse 22, for poor and needy am I, And my heart, he pierced in my inward part. David continues with his humility. He's not filled with bravado and arrogant boldness or anything like this. He's saying how weak he is, how needy he is. Now let me pause here again. Um, Unfortunately, we have to make this point. But in our culture today, where the church has gone woke... You have to remember that when the Bible talks about the poor and the needy, it's not talking about the oppressed as a group. Okay? Yes, it is true that more people are uh, more poor people trust in the Lord than rich people. But again, we're still talking about individuals. And so David here is not uh, joining in with Marx and this kind of thing. Okay? 
But he is saying that he is poor. He is poor in spirit. He is needing God. And then note this last line. And here your translations obscure the point. The Hebrew literally says, My heart he pierced in my inward part. Referring to this man in verses 6 and following. This particular man pierced David's heart. It hurt what this man was saying. And again, verses 4 and 5, David had showed love toward this person, whoever he was. Again, maybe it's someone in the days of Saul. Maybe it's someone in the days of Absalom. Maybe it's somebody else. Whoever it is, David's hurting. We've been there, haven't we? Someone fires that angry word or malicious word, and it just cuts right to the heart of who we are. It it hurts. David is there. He is hurting, and he's asking God for help. So verse 23, like a shadow when it is lengthening, I am gone. I am shaken off like the locusts. You see the parallelism here again? Okay. Um, different enough, certainly, to call it synthetic. But note the similes. Like a shadow begins the line, like the locust ends the second line. See the chiasm. Simply, David feels like he's fading away, kind of like Bilbo after wearing the ring for so long. Okay. He's fading away like a shadow. It's not the shadow that we see at high noon, like when if the sun stays out here and we go out after church. You know, it's, it's a dark shadow, almost black, and the, and the line of our shadow is very distinct. Now, David's talking about that shadow that we see at the end of the day. It's rather fuzzy on its edges. It's turning gray. And eventually it goes away at evening. This is how David is feeling. And then he's like this locust. Now, I'm sure his enemies would say David is a locust. He's devouring. Hey, but, but David is emphasizing, no, it's just like the locust. You know, you just briefly shake it and whoop, off it goes. jumps, flies away. He feels fragile. Of course, we can step on a locust at any time and so forth. That's how David feels. And then in verse 24, he says, My knees are stumbling from fasting, and my flesh has grown lean away from olive oil. Again, you, you see the parallelism, the rhyming of ideas. This one's close enough you could call it synonymous. And some may argue synthetic, but it's very similar. Okay, same basic idea. And here now, David is saying, not only am I praying, verse 4, but I've been fasting. This has been such uh, an overwhelming situation for David that he is fasting with his prayers. And fasting so much and praying so much that he's weak. He can't even hardly walk. He is stumbling. He's losing weight, he says. Right? I've grown lean, he says. He's not having olive oil. He's not having healthy, good food. Again, hear these words after verses 6 to 20. Notice attitude. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been praying so much that you just you have no strength left. So verse 25. And I, I was a reproach to them. They saw me. They are shaking their head. Obviously, you see the emphasis with the pronoun there. Hey, I'm a reproach to them. They, they hate me. 
They don't like me. And, and when they see me, they, they shake their head. They wag their head in scorn and disgust. So as I've asked you to do, think of the times where that's happened to you. I'm sure we've all been there in one, at least at one point or another. Someone is mean to us, some slanders us, someone harms us, and then influences others to say and do the same kinds of things. Hey, you walk down the hall at school or, or at work or something like that, and somebody's coming your way, and they just you know, they turn their head and they walk the other way. They, they avoid you. You've been there. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've fasted even. Maybe you feel like you're wasting away and feel like you're disappearing because of your tears over the pain. If David is so mean and so unchristian in this psalm, then why is his attitude so humble? Why is he so reliant on the Lord? And so again, I'm trying to do this apology for David, as it were. but I think is quite fitting. He begins and ends the psalm with prayer. He is petitioning the Lord, not trying to take matters into his own hands. He is praying to such a point that he's losing his strength. And all of his words are filled with the scriptures. He is humble. Let's emulate him. Now do it carefully, especially as we emphasized last week, but let's emulate him. And of course, this psalm is placed here. David wrote this, but it is placed in the part of the psalms that roughly 500 years later, they're applying these words in their situation. Probably the people of the land have come against them and have done similar things. Maybe it applies in some other specific way, but they are applying these words of David a few centuries later. and We can do the same thing a few millennia later. But of course, these words are fulfilled in Christ and with Judas. As we talked about last time, the application of verse 8 in Acts chapter 1. But think of this too. Jesus, of course, was reproached. People did wag their head at him. It says so specifically in, in the Gospels. The wicked did these things. Jesus did stumble on the way to the cross Jesus was pierced in the heart, literally, to prove that he was dead. But he was also pierced, of course, by those who just a few days before said, he's the Messiah. And now they want him dead. He was pierced in the heart, ultimately, by God, forsaken by his father as he took our punishment. All right, well, let's keep going now. The second section here, then, today... Begins in verse 26. Help me, O Yahweh my God. Save me according to your covenant love. All right, again, you see the parallelism. Um, different enough, you could probably say synthetic, but very similar. You see how it's similar to verse 21, especially the name. In verse 21, it's Yahweh my Lord, Adonai. Now it's Yahweh my God, Elohim. And so my covenant Lord is not just my master, David says, but my covenant Lord is my maker. Elohim, the one who has made all things, our all-sovereign creator who entered into relationship with David is the one here now he is addressing. And we have the same God who has the same character 
And we have the same promises, just now this side of the cross. We have the same kind of relationship that David has. And so turn to this God in your time of need. And so then the first petition here, help me. Verse 21, it was deliver me. Now we have help me. These are very similar words, very similar meanings. Uh, Let me say this about this word. Uh, The word here for help, you might think of Ebenezer. That's uh, connected here to this word, the stone of help. Uh, Think of Genesis 2, when God made the woman to help Adam. It's the same word. Now this is the verb instead of the noun, but... um, Uh, We see the same idea. So if somehow Eve being a helper, a woman being a helper is demeaning, well, then God is demeaned too, which makes no sense. And so the idea of supporting, assisting, assist me, Lord, help me, Lord, be beside me, you might say. And then in the second line, save me. Yet a third word, but again, very similar in meaning. Save me according to your covenant love. Keep your promises, right? Keep your chesed. Keep your covenant with me that you've made with me. Be loyal to the covenant. Save, deliver, help, rescue, aid. All these ideas. Now, this particular word is the word that we get the name Joshua. Or in Greek, we get the name Jesus. And so be Jesus to me, you might say, according to your covenant love. And certainly, God has done so. So verse 27, let them know that your hand is this. You, O Yahweh, you have done it. Obviously, your translations are going to smooth that out. But you see the emphasis. Okay? You see his point. Here we have another petition. Make it clear to my enemies. Make it clear to this man who has been so mean toward me that you have helped me, that you have saved me, that you have delivered me. Note again the covenant name of God being used here in this, this verse. And so David's point is simply this. Don't let them think that all this deliverance was just by chance or by luck or just some everyday explanation. Make it obvious. It was only you, God, Yahweh, who could have helped me in this situation. Make it out of the ordinary, as it were. Make it clear that you are on my side. Not Again, not in some selfish way, David is saying, but for Yahweh's sake, his name's sake. But make it clear that you're on my side. You might say like Elijah and the Baal prophets. That was pretty obvious, wasn't it? And make it clear, David is saying. So then we have verse 28. <clears throat> Let them, them, curse. See the emphasis here. But you, you, are blessing. They arose, then they were ashamed, but your servant will be glad. All right, now, if you have a handout from last week, or even the week before, you'll notice I made a change here. I initially have that uh, verb as just a regular verb, okay? You, you are, or sorry, they, they are cursing. But as I've prepared more for this, I think we should take this as another petition, another imperative Um, for you Hebrew folk. The imperfect verb is first in the sentence. 
And when it's first in the sentence, typically you take it as a petition. It's not always the case. But uh, uh, the more I look at that, I think that's the way we should go with it. And so the point here then is another petition by David, like we saw in verses 6 and following, let them curse, let them do all their stuff, let them say all those things they say about me, let them shoot those fiery words right at my heart, piercing me to the heart, let them do that because you are blessing. Hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, names never hurt me, yeah, well that's not true, okay, But all that may hurt, but when God blesses us, that's what's most important, isn't it? You see what David is relying on, who he's relying on, or whom, I should say. Now, note the second line, they arose, then they were ashamed. Now, these are actually past tense verbs, so it sounds like that... God has been helping David to some degree. It's not over yet. He needs more help. But there must have been some way that God has shamed these evil people. And so his servant is glad. Note, David's referring to himself. Do you see his humility here? Do you hear how David sounds just like Psalm 1? The righteous are blessed, the wicked are cursed. The righteous stand in the judgment, the wicked do not very much the same all right now let's look at verse 29 let my accusers put on disgrace and let them wrap themselves like a robe their shame do you see the parallelism here rhyming the ideas this idea of clothing in both lines so you could maybe argue synonymous here two more petitions again i've made a change here in my translation because that verb starts the line again And so I I think that's how we should go with it the more I look at it, Uh, which now brings our total of petitions up to 30 at least. Remember, David's relying on the Lord to render vengeance. Now, do you see the difference, though? In verses 21 to 25, David is fading away. Here now in verses 26 to 29, there is more confidence on his part, still relying on the Lord through it all. And notice how verse 29 is very similar to verses 18 and 19 about clothing with curses. And then that word accuser. You might remember I made mention of this um, uh, two weeks ago and even last week. That word for accuser is the Hebrew word Satan. So we get Satan from it. So let my Satans put on disgrace. Now maybe he has in mind Satan himself. But do you see the point? Those who are wicked are actually the seed of the serpent. Those who are against God's people are actually followers of Satan, even if they sit in church. And remember, David is referring to people who are fellow Israelites here. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't really mean anything. How are you living? And so these Satans, David asks, to be dressed up in shame and disgrace. And so this then is the final petition that David asks for judgment against the wicked here in this psalm. May the wicked reap what they sow, more or less. So our last part here then are verses 30 and 31. 
So verse 30, let me praise Yahweh exceedingly with my mouth, and in the midst of many I will praise him. Again, both are in parallel. Um, Probably call them synthetic, but they're very similar. Do you see the chiasm, the word for praise, the beginning and the end? And those words for praise are actually different words in the Hebrew. The first one is the one we get the name Judah, and the second one is where we get the term hallelujah. Um, So you might remember from Psalm 107, the word for praise includes the idea of thanksgiving. So let me praise, let me thank Yahweh, let me confess my faith in Yahweh exceedingly with my mouth. And notice it's in the midst of many. David has now gone to church. It's quite possible that everything up to this point he did alone. And he cried out to the Lord on his bed or in his prayer closet as we call it. But now he's specifically in the public. He is with fellow believers. Let me praise Yahweh exceedingly. Maybe he's even asking, hey, can I have a few minutes, you know, and during uh, prayer request time, you know, let me sing this song. And so he's going to give thanks and praise in this way. And in so doing, he is in essence calling on those who are with him to praise God too to worship Yahweh. And so verse 31, why should we praise Yahweh? For he is standing at the right hand of the needy in order to save from those who judge his soul. Yahweh stands ready to help those of us who are in need, to save from the wicked, those people who are firing those evil words at us, who are piercing us to the heart, those who are slandering, those who are condemning the innocent. Remember in verse 3, David was surrounded by them. But when we are surrounded by the same kinds of people, remember that God is at our right hand. He is right there to help us. We are not alone. And since God is on our side and right beside us, we know that he is going to keep his promises. He is our advocate. He is our protector. And so praise him in the midst of all of these things. And so as I've said repeatedly now for three sermons, David gives us a model to follow. When evil does come against us, praise God. As strange as that may seem, praise him. When evil comes against us, turn to the Lord, repeatedly asking for help. When evil comes against us, yes, pray that God would bring salvation to those people. But if God chooses not to save and show mercy, it is perfectly right for us to pray for their judgment. Do it humbly. Do it carefully. Do it as you rely on the Lord. And so David does it in his life. The exiles, after they return, did the same thing roughly 500 years later. Let's do the same today. Because God hasn't changed. Our situations really haven't changed much, just the the players involved. Now think of this contrast as I try to bring some of all this to a close. How do unbelievers respond when somebody is mean to them. We've probably all seen it. 
Maybe somebody at work or at school or whatever, right? We've seen unbelievers respond when they have been pierced to the heart. And what often happens, of course, is they then spew forth hate too, right? They want to pay them back. Some will turn to spells and rituals. Some will turn to aggression and guns. Many, of course, turn to vile words, maybe virtual bullying, maybe social media screed. This is how an unbeliever responds. But God's people should follow in the footsteps of David, as we have seen here in this psalm. It's not easy, especially when we thought those people were our friends. It's not easy because my selfish anger so easily triumphs over my righteous anger. But nonetheless, let's follow in the footsteps of David. It doesn't take us very long to think of enemies, to think of people who have done these things. Either people we know personally or those in society or whatever. This is so relevant for us. So let me end here today. By reading from William Plumer, pastor, theologian of the 19th century. And he asks a few questions here. First, he asks this. Is it part of your business and your pleasure to afflict and torment the innocent, the helpless, or the godly? If so, beware. God is the avenger of all such. Is your religion of the bitter and cursing kind... If so, it will not stand the test. So if you're some of the slanderers, look out, repent, or you will face judgment. But then these questions. Is your lot hard? Is your cup bitter? Is your cross heavy? Then believe in God. And in his son, Jesus Christ, who stands at the right hand of the poor as their advocate and friend. Are you a sufferer from the violence, injuries, or persecutions of men? Remember that the master endured the same. And cheerfully fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in your flesh for the sake of his body, which is his church. And God's name, too, as David said. It matters not what the enemy speaks against the godly so long as God approves them. Well, in this mini-series here on Psalm 109, such relevant words for us. Let's take them to heart and let's apply them as David has given to us. May God help us. Lord willing, next time we will turn to what is usually considered one of the most significant psalms in all the scriptures. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word, and we are thankful that you do not shy away from these hard matters. When people harm us and our desire to to have them be judged, Lord, we do pray that you would Seal upon us these words, your word, here in Psalm 109, that we might learn and follow in the footsteps of David, and that we might humbly 
rely on you, filled with praise and thanksgiving, loving our neighbor even when that neighbor harms us, but wanting more than anything else for your name to be upheld, to be honored and glorified, which includes the judgment of the wicked. And so, Lord, again, we pray for those people that have harmed us, and you know each one of those people that everyone here has been thinking about over the last number of minutes. And we do pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation, and that you would forgive, and that you would be merciful to those people in their wickedness. But we also pray, Lord, that if they do not repent and turn to you, that you would be honored You would judge sin and the sinner, and that you would then bless your people. We pray, Lord, for your mercies through it all, and we are so thankful that we can come to you and know that you are the same God that David appealed to, your promises are the same, and in many ways even more special now that Christ has come. And so we pray for your... um, your name to be magnified through all these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.